I'm going to need you to pull it together. <laughs> okay? Yeah. I'm pulling it together. Okay. It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. It's Thursday morning. One of us is potentially struggling, but we are here and ready to record. (laughs) We're in Charlotte with the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. They are great sponsors of the podcast, but these are tourism people that have a conference once a year, and they really know how to party. So yeah, I'm struggling this morning. Yeah, and we had to talk about it. I want to say (laughs) it was Tuesday night. We were on the phone. I was driving, and we had a talk about what you needed to do to not be in this state on Thursday morning. I forgot that conversation. What did I need to do? Go to bed early. Go to bed early. Another example of you not listening to me. I know, but they have so much fun. They're just great to hang out with. And yeah. it's I get a little FOMO. Now, you bailed at, what, 7.30? You're like, I'm out of here. So what happened was I hadn't had dinner the prior two nights because I'd been on the road. And so last night, I hear folks, it's like seven o'clock, you know, that's past my eating hour. (laughs) And people are talking, oh, where are we going to get dinner? I don't know. I don't know. We'll walk somewhere, see if it works out. Oh, they, you could get a reservation at 10 p.m. All I heard was we're not eating for another hour and a half. There's a Whole Foods right beside our hotel. And I saw two other women get up and leave. And I thought, that's my cue. I'm out of (laughs) here. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Christine and Molly, they work for NCTIA. Yeah, yeah. They, they, the three of you, yeah, you guys are smart. You just go up to your room. Yeah. We got to keep the party going, the rest of us. I don't feel that obligation. All right, well, we got to get to the news. That's a funny story. <laughs> uh, we'll get it together. I'm going to get some energy here. I've had a cup of coffee. I'm sipping my water, and let's get into it. All right, so if you listened to our podcast last week, We hope you did. We talked about the election and the results. So people have had a week to go ahead and digest those results. You've seen a lot of data about that. And people are now settled with 2022 and looking ahead to 2024. We already have a candidate announcing that he's running for president, President Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump announced this week that uh, his hat's in the ring. He's coming back for a third attempt. And now he was successful in a second attempt, but he's coming back for a third attempt to run for president. That was Tuesday night. He made that announcement from Mar-a-Lago. And what was interesting, I was scrolling Twitter during that announcement, and you saw a lot of Republicans talking about It's time for him to step aside and someone else needs to lead the party. A lot of discussion about Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida. You saw all of that chatter sort of happening. What do you think of that? It is apparent to me that the Republican, uh, let's call it establishment. I don't mean that in any pejorative way. But the folks who run campaigns, let's just put it that way. The folks running campaigns seem to be very concerned about President Trump being on the ballot in 24. Now, here's the problem. The base loves President Trump, the Republican base, that is. And there is going to be a train wreck if they don't settle this. The big question is, can Governor DeSantis, as you said, impressive victory last Tuesday? He got Miami-Dade County with that area. That was a big deal. Huge. Democratic stronghold. He got it. Won by, what, 20 points. You and I discussed this on the phone the other day. He had such a stronghold on Florida. Also, they recently had a hurricane. Mm -hmm. He handled the hurricane well from all accounts. That certainly could have helped a few points here or there. All in all, he has been in the news recently a lot. Name ID has to be high. But in a head-to-head versus Trump, it looks like he's pulling ahead. Yeah. Now, History shows us that that new guy, that front runner, doesn't always last. Jeb Bush, anyone? Howard Dean, remember the yell from 2004? 
it's like the marathon and you see the front runners, they just dart out. Those guys usually don't win the race. This is going to be a battle on the Republican side. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the challenges both parties have going into 2024. I did speak to a few Republicans, got a couple messages back, and these are folks who are very concerned about this civil war that seems to be percolating inside the Republican Party. I got this message from a Republican. I think last Tuesday showed that general election voters are recoiling at the craziness. It's okay to be very conservative or even endorsed by Trump, but as an example. But candidates who were created by Trump, Herschel Walker, Oz, Masters, Lake, Vance, etc., are toxic. By the way, J.D. Vance won in Ohio. I think DeSantis is just superior in all ways. He's Trump without the baggage. He can fire up Republicans while still attracting moderates. That's the ticket for us in 24. He also happens to be the only person who could beat Trump in a primary. Now, that last statement's debatable. To piggyback off of that, Axios Raleigh today had an article that referenced a poll from Carolina Partnership for Reform tied to... Senate leader Phil Berger, and they polled about 600 folks, and Ron DeSantis had a 46% favorability, and Biden and Trump both had 41, Mm -hmm. again, within the margin of error. Well, speaking of Biden, it's not like Republicans are the only ones with problems going into 24. Democrats are struggling with the current president. He is seven out of 10 voters would like him not to run. Those are seven out of 10 Democrats don't want him to run in 24. He's obviously very old. It's starting to catch up with him. Starting to. (laughs) Yeah, it's cringy when I see him on the news. And I've talked to some Democrats about this. They're very concerned about Biden being on the top of the ticket. I think some Democrats are excited that Trump might be on the ballot. And some Republicans are excited that Mark Robinson's going to be on the ballot in 24. You know, when talking to Democrats and electeds, folks who are in the party, folks who support the Democratic Party, you know, they're concerned that they just got walloped last week. They don't seem to have a message. Their infrastructure is not there. Their leadership, even inside the General Assembly, there's some questions about that. We do know that the Democrats are going to caucus after Thanksgiving. They're going to elect their leaders, their minority leaders in both chambers. I think Robert Reeves is pretty safe. I think everyone seems to be happy with him. Uh, Dan Blue, it's going to be rough to have lost the supermajority to the Republicans and then say, hey, reelect me. There's a lot of respect for Senator Blue. Mm -hmm. He is a statesman. He is liked on both sides of the aisle. But, you know, there are going to be those tough questions because politics is about accountability and performing and winning. Speaking of Mark Robinson, there was an article this week in the Assembly. Yeah, the Assembly did a deep dive of 12 of Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson's sermons and some of the controversial things he said. And I think they went in person to one of those to listen to it. And then they talked to different leaders of divinity schools, I think Wake Forest, Duke, somewhere else, and asked about the things he was saying about what the Bible said and or the differences in men and women, those sorts of things. Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, who has an incredible life story, kind of feel like he's a lot like President Trump. President Trump would be president today if he did not have his Twitter account back in the day, if he wasn't just saying so many dumb things. There's just got to be some discipline over there. I don't, I'm don't. i not suggesting that, you know, Senator Tom Tillis could beat him or Dale Falwell could. I think it'd be an interesting primary. But the stuff that, that the lieutenant governor says is just unnecessary. Just tell your story. Talk about what you want to do. But the meanness, he's got to cut that out. They also included some quotes from people who really love Mark Robinson. Yeah. And that's something we heard even in the last week that he polls higher than Trump. Yeah. And folks are saying, oh, we wish he would go national. He stands up for us. And so he really does resonate with a lot of voters, which is why it feels like he has that nomination clinched. Yeah. But that is to be determined. 
L.T. McCrimmon, who is Governor Cooper's liaison to the General Assembly, is departing the governor's office. That's right. We heard she is going to APCO Mm -hmm. to lobby, presumably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We did a podcast with LT. It was great. She is a wonderful person and I believe did a good job for the governor in the General Assembly. The big question is... Who will be the new liaison? Yeah. We heard some rumors that the governor might be looking at former legislators, maybe some that lost last Tuesday. You know, the liaison is essentially the governor's lobbyist, which is a tough job. And it's going to be a very tough job Even next tougher, year. yeah. Yeah, you've got to get in with Republicans and try to tweak bills. And, you know, this is what the governor would like and maneuver that. Then you've also got to go over and help shore up Democrats. Tough, tough job. And LT described this work. By the way, go back and look at that podcast. We'll put a link in the show notes. She did it well. And so you and I started talking about, well, who could replace her? It's a tough conversation (laughs) that you and I had. (laughs) Yeah. And And we talked about it with uh, some Democrats as well. Yeah. So we, we were saying first, we thought maybe a Republican would be a good idea for him. Yeah. But that doesn't seem to be something that's going to happen. So then we talked about some middle-of-the-road Democrats that we would think would be good fits. So, you know, I was thinking about a a good liaison for the governor on the Republican side. Okay. Former Senator Jeff Tart, who's from right here in Charlotte. I think the governor should consider Now, he's not, I don't think. But I'm just going to put it out there. Like a Jeff Tart or a Charlie Jeter, former Representative Charlie Jeter. Mm-hmm. I've talked about former Representative Paul Tyne, someone like that. that can, they're bridges, right? These were moderates. Yeah. Did not like the social issues. Those are, I don't know. All right. If Governor Cooper and his team's listening, put those names out there for him. On the Democratic side, we talked about former Representative or I, he's current representative until mm-hmm. next year, Brian Turner from yeah. Asheville, who is very well liked by pretty much everyone. Great guy. He goes hunting with Republicans. He's pro-business, certainly progressive on social issues, but just a likable guy. Totally. I know it was suggested to LT that she suggest Representative Brian Farkas. Yes. That seemed to get nowhere, <laughs> from what I understand in that conversation. Yeah, notably, so we talked to Senator Kirk Devier last week, and you know that Representative Brian Farkas was also in those discussions about the budget. I did see a stat that I think I maybe mentioned last week that five of the six Democrats who voted for the budget lost. Mm-hmm. Brian Farkas, I think, would be. Good and also you, very good guy. Yeah. Oh, love that guy. And most Republicans love that guy. Yeah. The other guy, you just mentioned his name. This would be, I think, an incredible story. Governor Cooper walks out of the mansion with Senator Kirk Devier and says, This guy is going to be my liaison to the General Assembly. A lot of water under that bridge, but I think Senator Kirk Devier would be a good pick because in my conversations over the last week, Democrats and Republicans, they're like, man, I wish we had Senator Devier in our caucus. He could kind of smooth out some edges for us. And some Republicans have said, you know, we don't need, and we're talking about the Senate now, we don't need any Democrats. We're going to be fine. We've got 30 votes. We're moving ahead. But it was said to me a couple times, you know, if Senator Devier was in the caucus because of what he did last year with us and bridging that budget, we would have worked with him. Again, if the governor's listening, (laughs) he would be a great choice. I'm also intrigued by what will happen after he appoints a new liaison you're right everyone loves lt Mm -hmm. but when and i think maybe we've mentioned this before when lee lily was hired oh man a couple days later they held a hearing (laughs) where (laughs) it was definitely tv show material yeah where they grilled him and it was pretty uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there is a potential for that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, if we're taking a play out of a playbook, I remember Governor Beverly Perdue, she appointed 
uh, Representative Pryor Gibson, very conservative Democrat, to be her liaison. And, you know, he could get in the offices because everyone loved Pryor. Pryor Gibson was a great guy. Just a folksy Anson County guy, rural North Carolina. But this will be interesting. We'll follow this story, keep you up on it. But congratulations to LT. Welcome to the Lobbying Corps. She's going to be great down there. This is a new type of interview for us. We got to interview Senator-elect Benton Sari and kind of talk about what his perceptions going into the General Assembly are for someone who is newly elected. And so it's a case study on whether or not he will do (laughs) politics better. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Senator-elect Benton Sari, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. To start us off, tell us about your district. Where is your district? Why do you think your district is special? I have the benefit of having one county as a result of redistricting. It's uh, just Johnston County. We hit the population nail right on the head. Uh, so I think for the first time since they, they went to, um, I think, this concept of, of districts, we are a, we're a sole county or a one-county district, which is really exciting. We've been split up over the years between Nash County and Harnett County and Wilson County and Wayne County and other places like that. So this is a unique opportunity for Johnston County. I talked about this on the campaign trail a lot. It's true. We're, we're two counties. We are a fast-growing suburb of Raleigh. I think we're, we're the fastest-growing county in the state of North Carolina. We have towns like Clayton and Archer Lodge and Cleveland and places like that, which you know, primarily identifies with folks driving in as commuters. And then we have your traditional eastern North Carolina towns uh, like Smithfield and Pine Level and Princeton and Benson and Kenley and places like that. So it's unique. You know, we're the home of Red Hot Dogs. Uh, we're the home of Ava Gardner. You know, some of the prettiest parts of the state, in my opinion, are the new slow grounds just past Bentonville um, or in the Bentonville area. With your county growing so fast, how long does it take you to campaign or get across the county? So, so it took me 45 minutes to get from Bentonville to Archer Lodge one night, which is, uh, I guess, two di- uh, diagonal parts of the county from each other. And it's, I mean, traffic's gotten terrible. That, that's one of the issues we've got. It's uh, our roads and our infrastructure were built in sleepy farm towns back you know, 20, 30 years ago. And now we, we have the needs of somewhere like Raleigh or Cary or Holly Springs with four-lane highways that just mm-hmm. don't exist. And so let's point out for listeners, you have not been sworn in yet. No. All right. So you're Senator-elect, sorry. You're going to take office January 1, I assume, if you decided when you're going to get sworn in. I think the, the official swearing-in date is January 11th. Okay. Um, I have an option to do a, a local swearing-in um, earlier, which we'll probably try and work out here in the next few weeks. But mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's all coming up very quickly. Well, we wanted to bring you on the podcast in hopes of talking to you about your decision to come into the Senate, kind of get a feel of what you want to do, what your expectations are. And then we're going to revisit with you Next year, once session gets going, and just see how things are going. For then. clarification, we don't know yet if you do politics better. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no clue at all. In fact, this time next year, you know, my, my kids might not recognize me. Hopefully, my <laughs> wife still loves me and I still have a job. Uh, but, but right now, I'm, I'm still, you know, optimistic about all that. Yeah. So. Yeah. You have some experience in North Carolina politics, in the Senate specifically. Uh, I, Went to NC State and was, was looking for something to do as an internship when I first started there. And somebody said, we should walk down the street to North Carolina Republican Party headquarters. So I did. Um, I lived uh, on East Campus in Bagwell Hall. So I went down Hillsborough Street and asked Mr. Bill Peasley if he needed an intern. And, and he looked at me and said, sure. And he threw a stack of uh, survey petitions. They had people sign at the state fair and said, start entering these into our computer system. So I did that for a couple of weeks. And then he liked me and recommended that I should go down to the General Assembly and apply for a job, and, and I did. And 
current Senate President Pro Tem Phil Berger was was kind enough to let me be his intern starting um, in that session. So I had a chance to to work with him in a really small office when he was the minority leader and worked there for a couple sessions and working for um, Senator uh, Tom Apodaca as well. I think that was the 2007-2008 time period. And then uh, I moved on from there and, and worked as a uh, on the less merit for re-election campaign in 2008 before going on to uh, graduate from NC State and going to law school after that. But I've stayed in, uh, active and involved and have a lot of close friends from that time period. Uh, I think uh, it's, it's interesting to see how folks have kind of matriculated and moved on. I think um, we were talking earlier that Sarah Holland, who is the uh, current mm-hmm principal clerk of the Senate, you know, she was the press secretary at the time. Yeah. Um, Cody Hand, who I think is with the Hospital Association, mm-hmm. you know, he was uh, Berger's um, uh, legal counsel at the time. Um, Daryl Malcolm, he's still there on boards yeah. and appointments. That's so right. it, it was it was interesting to learn kind of how the process worked and how the body worked. So you took a break yep. to go to law school, South mm-hmm. Carolina? University of South Carolina, go Gamecocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You come immediately back to North Carolina, back to Johnston County? Yes. So I grew up in Smithfield, the big city, and um, there's a great firm um, that's in Smithfield. We do, we do a lot of tax work, transactional work, and things like that. Really always looked up to the attorneys that were there and, and kind of had my eyes set to come home. So I spent three years down in Columbia and came back as soon as I could. So I know this isn't your first stint in electoral politics. You ran back in 2016? That's right. I don't know if this is a, a an honor or not, but um, I, I ran the closest primary in the state of North Carolina in 16. It was, I think it was old Senate District 11. It was Buck Newton's Senate seat that he held prior to running for Attorney General. It covered Wilson and Nash and Johnston counties. It was part of Johnston, just the northern part of it. But I was 28 years old. Wow. <laughs> I, uh, I threw my name in the hat and, um, you know, probably probably made a lot of folks mad doing so in the process. But we lost by like 600 votes out of however many were cast that year to Rick Horner, who's uh, okay. since served and, and moved on. That was exciting. So what made you decide to run again and particularly in this election? First time Johnson County has an ascendancy. Um, it was an opportunity. We had somebody who um, who, who could pay you know, close attention to just the needs of Johnston County. Had a lot of encouragement from folks that saw what I did in 16 that wanted me to give it a shot again. I think there's a unique blend of political experience versus just knowledge of the law, knowledge of the process, and, and knowledge of the community, too. Um, you know, I'll talk about the primary, but my pitch the entire time, my pitch in 16, my pitch in 22 was you have to know the community that you're going to represent. The stump speech I gave was that four generations of my family lived in Johnson County at the time that I was running and, and still today. And, and I think that part of being a successful representative is, is having that deep care and that deep connection and things like that with a particular community. Did you find when you ran in 22 versus 16, you must have been a little tougher, a little more grizzled, right? I mean, that those calluses of losing can stick with oh, you. Oh, yeah. You, you, lo- losing is a feeling you never want to experience uh, more than <laughs> right. once. It's uh, it's humbling. <laughs> yeah. It is. Uh, it's it's good because I think it uh, it makes you want to uh, to work harder and fight harder. So I, I definitely came with a lot of different experience and a lot of different ideas. I knew it worked. I knew it didn't work. I had a plan. We we executed a plan in, in 22 versus 16. And part of it too is just just can't like getting older. You know, 20. I, I didn't know what I was doing. Right, <laughs> I right, did the best right, I could. Right. <laughs> but this time was exciting. You run when you're 28. You don't have kids yet. You have kids now. And you were saying before we sat down for the podcast that you had to have a long conversation with your wife about this. Well, the first run, but also she kind of revisited those questions from the first run on your second run. Can you talk a little bit about that? No. And yeah, when we, um, (laughs) um, we sat down in in 16 to talk about that, you know, when I first broached the topic with her, she was, uh, kind of a little taken aback, you know, what what are we doing? You're 28. You know, we we barely have living room furniture at the time. (laughs) We just moved here (laughs) Uh, or moved back here. She had, she was, uh, she was in Winston Salem at the time, uh, before she got married to me. And she, uh, she sat down one night and she got out a, uh, a notebook and she wrote out 10 pages of questions for me that she needed answers to. <laughs> and that was the best way she knew to communicate them. Uh, and, you know, things as varied as, uh, you know, do, do, you, do you still work? Do you have a job? Was it paid to be at the General Assembly? You know, will we ever see you at night? And, and so, so more importantly, you know, what, what's going to happen when we have kids and you know, have a family? How, how is this going to impact you? So, you know, in 16, we didn't have, you know, all of those, those factors, but... Uh, now I've got a four-year-old Grayson and a two-year-old Allie. Um, you know, they're the most important things in our lives. And 
it's uh, it's part of the balance there is how do you um, you know how do you do it and so we had some really really long conversations about that ultimately at the end of the day we figured out a way that we can make it work and you know Honestly, I don't know if this could work if I did not live in Johnston County, okay. which is you know thirty minutes away from the the Capitol building, and yeah. we've got you know family that's there and a good support system, uh, which is going to be great. We heard part of that balance is that this week you probably had a long week, long nights, and next week you're going to Disney World. Right? That's right. <laughs> We're going to Disney World next week, and, and you know, Scott can give me tips. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you went a couple weeks ago, right? <laughs> I went in July, the July. hottest okay, part. Right. Yeah, Don't right. go in July. Don't that's go in July. the tip. Okay. All right. No, we're not. We're going November very, very intentionally. So we're, we're excited about that. Yeah. That was part of the deal this year. I had to go to Disney World after the election was over. Okay. Done with. Okay. Smart move. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about some of your maybe expectation or your goals in the Senate. What I've done since the primary is I've um, I sat down in May and I made a list of, of organizations and people and um, folks I wanted to meet with and have a conversation with to try and figure out a way, you know, how, how can I have a step ahead in January? Because I look at the incoming freshman class and I see folks that have a lot of experience, you know, Tim Moffat, he's, um, you know, in the house, you know, Buck mm-hmm. Newton, he's been there, um, he's done it. There are folks that I'm going to, you know, certainly be behind and feel like I'm drinking out of a fire hose. So I, I'm trying hard from a technical, from a process, from a substantive um, level to try and, you know, bring myself up to speed so that I'm, I'm you know, not, not ahead of the game, but at least at the same level as they are. And I spent a lot of time driving around the county. I met with uh, just about every one of our major employers. I met with all of our mayors and our town councils. I met with all of our chambers of commerce. And Representative Larry Strickland you know, told me that this, this is something that's very important, that he had a he had a list of every need that an organization you know had. So that way he knew what they needed and he knew how to be responsive to them. So I wanted to start bridging those gaps and moving from a personal relationship to kind of a professional relationship on that level. So I think my expectation is going to be figuring out a way to be responsive, figuring out a way to um, be effective, knowing that I'm going to be a freshman senator, you know, have a back bench, back seat, something of that nature, which is fine. But I think there, there's opportunities there too. I told some of Senator Burger staff that, you know, my goal is um, is to be a workhorse. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I know you hear about different mm-hmm. types of members mm-hmm. of the General Assembly and things like that, but you know, I'm 35 years old. I've got a family. I've got a career ahead of me. You know, if I didn't come up here with an intention to work and to get things done, then I could find other ways to, to spend my time and my free time and, and, and commit to things. So I've invited them to give me big technical projects, but I've got a list of other things for the for the district that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked about Johnson County's two-county system or two-county concept earlier. There are things in the state structure with formulas for funding and uh, grants and infrastructure that don't really fit for Johnson County's needs right now. Yeah, I'll give you an example. So the distressed county system, the tier system that the Department of Commerce uses. Johnson County is rated one of the most top level, the most prosperous level of counties in the state, which is bizarre to me. And, and I think the only reason you know that's the case is because of Cleveland, Clayton, Archer Lodge, where they have a median household income of $62,000 per year, which is very high for North Carolina. Is that but, because they're bedroom communities yeah. to Wake County is that mm-hmm. what's going on there? Yeah, they're you know they're driving into Wake County. Okay. Forty-seven thousand people leave Johnston County every single day and commute into a Wake or Durham or somewhere else, and wow. those are you know high-income jobs and high-paying jobs, and they drive back to Johnston County every night. But then you have folks in Pine Level and Princeton and Kenley and Smithfield where the you know the average household income there is like you know, thirty thousand dollars a year. Um, so you know, how do you balance that? And I, I think that. What it does, it puts a big burden on the county government to fill the gap for you know broadband and infrastructure and sewer and water. And it's unintentional, I think, at the state level, but you've got to have a system of some type. It seems like you just have such a good grasp of what your county needs coming into office. And I would think that your experience uh, when you were an intern has to also give you a leg up. You were in a very active legislative office with then-minority leader Phil Berger. It was a small office too. Yeah, uh, remember so, that. I mean, j- j- just a, just a very small office. So I had a chance to see what was going on. I had a chance to be a part of some conversations that I might not otherwise have been a part of. And granted, it's changed a lot. I mean, I, I remember you know hiding outside of the printing room um, office doors to try and snag a copy of the budget before it came out off the press. You know, to pass on to the caucus. I got to sit in the caucus room meetings in the back. I remember um, um, Austin Allrand would sit back there and we'd eat popcorn at the Sergeant Arms and listen <laughs> to people um, talk and debate things. And, you know, it was just, it was neat. Um, and as, you know, somebody told me, at the very least, you know where the bathroom is. Yeah, um, yeah. You know where the coffee is. Senator Berger's office 
bit of trivia here, is now Gladys Robinson's office. And you guys were all piled into that office. <laughs> right. I remember Daryl at the front and yeah. Cody in the middle. Yeah. So tell me the thing you're most looking forward to in the Senate and the thing that you're dreading the most. <laughs> <laughs> I am most looking forward to, I think, actually getting to work on, on, on something substantive, mm. to, to actually putting together some of these ideas I have in draft format, running them through a committee and seeing how that process works. You know, the goal, obviously, is to avoid rules and see if I can get something, you know, an actual um, you know, vote and as, you know, some others have told me it's easy to get 30 votes in the Senate. The next challenge is to get 71 or 72 in the House of Representatives. So we'll get there. By the way, that formula works in converse from the House to the Senate. It's right. it's hardest to get a unanimous bill out of the House to even get heard in the Senate. <laughs> I've heard from some, some from, from some of our legislative delegation. I have uh, I've heard uh, some gripes about that, um, which is okay. Yeah. Um, least excited about. I don't know. I, I think sometimes the, uh, uh, the the late nights, you know, I recall those when I was in college and it was fun when you're, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old and, you know, you can stay up till two o'clock in the morning and things like that. But, you know, I, I want to get home and see Grace and Allie now. I think that's going to be tough. Can you describe what your primary was like? Because when I first met <clears throat> you, Senator-elect, you, you were in the middle of this primary sure. and Johnston County politics, while it is a red county, the uh, inner party squabbles to find a nominee aren't always the most pleasant. No, no, no. We, we, we are a, uh, we're an interesting breed in Johnson County. And I say that with love and affection. I sure. love Johnson County. Probably in the summer of, of 21, um, when we knew this seat was going to be a possibility, and we had some conversations with some people that were obvious folks who were, that were going to run, um, and, and they indicated they weren't. We thought it was going to be a little bit easier race for the primary. Um, and then uh, an individual came to the county and threw a name in the hat, and it turned out to be a um, probably one of the one. I'm actually sure it was one of the most expensive races in the county. Um, it turned mm-hmm. out to be one of the excuse me in the state, and turned out to be one of the most aggressive campaigns in the entire state. We raised a lot of money. We spent a lot of money. She raised a lot of money. She spent a lot of money. You know, I, I was uh, I'm an attorney by trade. Um, I was. Uh, I was attacked, um, you know, weekly for being a, an attorney and a member of the bar, which, you know, I hate. Um, I think, you know, some of those attacks were misguided at best. And, you know, I'll say some other adjectives or adverbs might use for the rest of them. But that's, uh, um, it's behind us at this point, which is nice. But, you know, here's the thing is that Johnson County, as big as it is, it's still local. You know, we might have 217,000 people in the county, but people still care about whether you live there or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and we won with a resounding, I think, 63 or 64% of the vote. Um, and then my two other competitors split with like 19 and 14 or something okay. of that. Um, you know, we, we knocked doors. Uh, we were on the radio, we had events, um, and we, we packed out, you know, barbecue restaurants from Kenley to McGee's Crossroads. I mean, it was exciting. Um, yeah. and the highs were high and the lows were low. Um, but I'm glad the primary is behind me. Right. <laughs> right. So you come out of the primary and then you have an opponent, mm-hmm. a Democrat, but you coasted to victory. Right? It, it was, um, it, it was not as, as stressful as the, the primary was. Um, and Dr. Cohen, he'd been on the ballot before. He, he's a nice gentleman. You know, we won 64% of the vote again, um, which was great. And I think my big takeaway is that, that we overperformed on the Republican side for the Senate race and for our, actually for our House races too, for um, Representative White and Representative Strickland, Representative Penny, mm-hmm. what the federal races um, were doing as well probably was a trend we saw statewide people really really liked their local delegation they liked their local folks in johnston county it it showed at the ballot box strong delegation it is and uh, look uh representative white is a she she has been a great friend for a long long time um and and i really look to her as a mentor i really really appreciate everything she's done uh, for johnston county I want to figure out a way that I can be like her and, and provide that same level of constituent services. I, I did not know Representative Penny until this election cycle, mm-hmm. um, but he is um, he is one of the kindest um, folks I've met. He is a uh, he's a great representative, um, and, and I'm, I'm gonna try and learn from him. And then Representative Strickland has been um, prolific in what he's been able to do in a leadership position in the House. And um, one of the questions I asked uh, when I'm talking about those meetings was, "What are Representative Strickland? Or what is um, Representative White? What do they do well? Yeah. You know, how can I?" copy that what 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 do i need to emulate um and and mayors and town council members and industry i mean that they were just full of praise for what they've done for johnson county and i I think that's really really what's going to help us move forward as a uh, as a community that 
leads me into a question. And those folks that you listed, your delegation in Johnston County, they are experienced lawmakers. They've been there for a bit, but they are all older. Can you talk a little bit about being a young Republican and a younger person entering office, also the Senate, which is an older chamber, and what that means to you? So, you know, it's funny that that was probably, well, I, I know in 16, that was the biggest knock against me. And he's 20 mm-hmm. years old. What's this guy mm-hmm. doing? Um, and now I'm, you know, 35. I thought it was a little bit better, but but not a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people still look at you and think, wow, I mean, he's young. He's, he's doing something like that. When people talk about that, I point out that, you know, Andrew Brock was a young guy when he served in the Senate. You know, I look at Senator Dave Craven now, um, right. you know, and he, he's had tremendous success um, as a young member of the Senate. And I think, uh, is it Mary Willis Bodie, is mm-hmm. that right? I mean, That's she's right. Uh, she's about my age, and she's going to be a freshman member of the Senate as well. You know, I, the, the way I, I talked about it is that it's it's time for my generation, um, and you know, I'm one of those proverbial you know millennials, um, you know, to really step up and take control of the direction of the state and the direction of our communities. You know, we, we can sit on the sidelines, we can talk about it and gripe and things like that, but until we we take responsibility for where we want our community to go, then you know, what are we doing? You know, why are we just, just sitting here having the conversations? You know, move it from social media to actually legislating and leading and representing and things like that. And, and I think for a lot of people that, that resonated, they said, wow, you know, you've got somebody that's, that's, that's willing to put themselves out there and subject themselves to that scrutiny. It's going to be interesting as my generation or you know, our generation's guy, um, you know, c- comes up and, um, you know, sorry, Brian. Um, <laughs> go uh, home, yeah, oldie. Go, yeah, yeah, go, go home. Um, <laughs> but it, it's going to be interesting as, as we start entering these offices. Yeah. And I, I've got a lot of good relationships with uh, with Senate staff and, you know, NCGOP staff and, um, you know, various interest group staff because when the Republicans came to power in state government in 2010, there wasn't this deep bench of, of Republican staff members that were willing or able to step up. It mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, it was folks that you're know, graduating college about the same time I was took these roles. So, you know, we're going to have an opportunity to grow together, work together, and there, there's that trust that's there. You mentioned Mary Wills Bodie, as you said, she's uh, coming in as a freshman. She's a Democrat. Have you thought at all about how maybe you see working with? members on the other side of the aisle of course we have to put it in the context you guys have a super majority so uh, doesn't have to happen but have you thought about it the cases and the, the things and the issues that get all the attention are the hot button issues mm-hmm. that, that you know drive the headlines and the partisan divides but, but there's so much of what happens that's that's just technical and it's mm-hmm. you know substantive it's you know it's state level issues that that just aren't the headline grabbing things that that might be changes or tweaks to law that might be changes to the way we we address an antiquated system or something of that nature and and I think that you know provided that you're you're looking to move North Carolina forward that you're looking to make somebody's life better that you're looking to make incremental change to to move a topic in the right direction some of these folks um, you know they've got good experience in state government they've got experience in the law they've got good experience in campaigning and if you approach it with a problem solving mentality then then you can find ways to to find issues that that just are in the way that are making folks lives harder and and, and, and try and work on a solution to a problem. And I think it's about that approach and conversation. And I imagine parts of her district, Granville County, have the same problems as the parts of your district sure. in Johnston County. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of her district. I mean, you know, uh, I think she was northern Wake County and mm-hmm. Granville County. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, she's got a big rural uh, portion of the county. And then she's got an area that's a you know suburb of Raleigh. So there's some same issues there. And I think she's an attorney, mm-hmm. you know, for example. Um, and, you know, something that, you know, people look down on you know, the legal profession for various reasons, but, but something that we can bring to the table is that we see where the law meets practical application and meets substantive use in the community. And so, so we understand that, okay, if, if we pass this, if we tweak this provision, this is what it's going to mean for a business or a farmer or a family or something like that. And that's an experience, and you know, for example, she and I would share. You know, the the exciting thing about the Senate, you you look at it from top to bottom, is the diversity of, of backgrounds and occupations, and you know, you've got folks who are veterinarians and insurance salesmen, and farmers, and, uh, and and retirees and educators and things like that, and everybody's going to bring that. Part of you talk about being young. Um, you know, I don't know um, what I don't know sometimes, so mm-hmm. I'm going to have to lean on that and recognize that. There are experts that are out there and, um, and just defer to them on these topics. And, you know, if that means they're a Democrat on a substantive topic, then, then you know, I need to learn from them and, and use my, 
use those listening skills that hopefully I developed when I was a young child. Are you an expert on tax law? People can come to you. We would talk about it, but we don't want to lose listeners. Yeah, I was going to, that, that was, uh, you know, I, I was telling Brian and Sky earlier, I was, uh, I, I was trying to explain to my wife, like how excited I was to come on this podcast earlier. So I, I played her a clip of uh, an episode from like two or three weeks ago and she looked over at me. She said, you know, Ben, I'm really glad you're excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so no, let, let's not double down on that. She would, she would really turn it off now. Oh, that's funny. You said you've listened to the podcast. You know this question is coming. If you had a magic wand and you could fix something in our politics or policy today, what would it be? So and this is probably biased for the time period. We can revisit this next year. Um, but just coming off an election, I, I would move the electioneering boundary at polling places back by about 300 feet. Okay. Oh, uh, new one. Yeah. 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 I've, I've heard every single one. I was trying to think of something unique. <laughs> that uh, is unique. I think uh, I just, you know, the, the, the hordes of poll greeters that are, you yeah. know, sitting there handing you information, trying yeah. to put it in your uh, uh, somebody's hands. That's a little intimidating at times, I think, for voters. Um, so I think we should have a table. Uh, if you want to put something on the table, right there mm. by the door, you can put it on the table by the door and somebody can pick it up if they need it. If they don't want it, they can walk on through. But otherwise, uh, you know, tr- try and make it as easy and peaceful and non-confrontational of a, of a process as possible. You can see it in people's eyes when they get out of the car. that oh, yeah. They are just putting up all defenses oh, yeah. as they walk through the yeah. gauntlet. And some people want that information, and that's fine. And, and that, yeah. that's why I think you know they should have an opportunity to get it. But I think for the vast majority of folks, they know who they're going to vote for when they walk up to the door. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I give credit to the voters for being very educated and very savvy. Um, you know, they, they've done their research, they've watched the, the commercials, read the mailers, and uh, and, and, and you know, generally looked into who they're going to vote for. Um, Is watching the commercials research? I don't know if it's research or not, but they're, they're, at, least, they're at least savvy enough. They, 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 know, they know who the candidates are. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, they, they've it's, it's piqued their interest. They've gone, they've done, they, they've Googled, they've looked up their bios and things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the down ballot races like school board, that might be more difficult. But yeah, I, I just think it would, it would make the process much more efficient. And we'll also save some paper along the way too, which would be nice. Well, Senator-elect Benton Sorry, we appreciate your service in the North Carolina Senate coming up. We appreciate everything you're going to do for your community in Johnston County. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Sky. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. I loved having Senator-elect Solry in our office last week. I had met him in the middle of the primary. We were at an event, and I got to talk to him a little bit. The first thing that was striking is just how young he was, and, you know, an attorney, and an young kids and I'm glad we got to kind of unpack that and talk about just I love how his wife gave him a list of questions but uh, we you know what we need to do next guys probably look at a newly elected Democrat bring them in because I bet a lot of high hopes coming into this session but that's a tough job so yeah let's think about that thank you Senator Alex sorry for coming on the podcast we are looking forward to working with you tweet, tweet of, of the, the week, week. This week's Tweet of the Week. So I told you I had sent you this tweet last week after we had recorded because I couldn't find a funny one last week, but I did find one. And so this is a tweet from Ashton Butuso. She's at, at, I just now saw her handle, (laughs) at Lil underscore Butts. Okay. <laughs> but it looks like because like her last name is B U T U S O. Anyway, be careful in your search of this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it was a viral tweet that said, "Congrats on your I voted sticker. I bet the sea turtles love them. I had my polling place brand me with hot iron because I actually care about the environment." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, We're done with the, the sea turtles are fine now, right? I guess so. I, I guess so. I, I imagine there's some sea turtles out there with an I voted sticker on their shell. But anyway, I put mine on my water bottle. 
You know, I did also see something that said all of the like older folks who are like, oh, participation trophies, everybody, I voted. (laughs) (laughs) Participation (laughs) trophies central. Yeah, yeah. We are so excited to do our first live show the week after Thanksgiving on November 30th for the Asheville Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, this is going to be so much fun. We've been working with Zach Wallace up at the Asheville Chamber, and he's invited us to record the podcast live Mm -hmm. in front of the chamber there. And we're going to have Dr. Chris Cooper. He's a political science professor at Western Carolina University. You've probably read his quotes in NC poll articles, but we're going to record the podcast, talk about the election, specifically how it pertains to Western North Carolina. It's at the venue in downtown Asheville, and Zach Wallace has a link on his social media. We've retweeted it a couple of times. If you Google search it, I'm sure you can find it as well, but we'll include it in the show notes. Yeah, going to be a lot of fun. We hope to see you there. All right, so we're at this conference, and once again, you had to reintroduce yourself to people that we've known for years. Okay, if you know me, you know Brian is my security blanket. I need him to talk, me to just sit there. And That's not true. No, you it talk. is. You it talk. Is. It is. Okay, so anyway, I got here before you. We drove separately, and... For conservationists out there, she has to go to Wilmington tomorrow. So you're cutting through to Wilmington. So yeah. Back to the story. I got here before you and I told you, I was like, you have to get here because I just cannot survive without you. No one knows who I am. First of all, I need you beside me. So people are like, oh yeah, that's Sky. But without you, it's awkward. And yes, it continues to happen Someone I've known for six years walks up to me, puts his hand out, says, hi, I'm Mike Butts. Mike Butts. We're here at the Charlotte Convention Center. We've known Mike forever. What's weird is that it, it just, it. I, I said this last time, it's like, is this a joke or not a joke? And then I'm like, yeah, I just saw you like a couple months ago. Right. And we talked about this when I reintroduced <laughs> myself then, reintroduced myself. Yeah. And then he, and then it just gets worse because Mike. Because then he's like, well, um, something's different, right? Uh, did you lose weight? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Change your hair? No. <laughs> it's really <laughs> at that point i'm committed to making it awkward for them you know, I know you don't let them off the hook because i'm like she got taller that's what i like to i want to help the guy out right because the just keeps digging yeah keeps digging. there's no reason to like ask additional questions like maybe you got fatter <laughs> i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well this is a fun exchange regardless I need you so people know who I am. Yeah. Well, we have Senator Todd Johnson coming later this afternoon. afternoon. We're giving him the Legislator of the Year Award for all the work he did, especially in like ABC modernization, the stuff he did on Weston's Law, the elevator bill. That was such a sad situation. But uh, Senator Johnson just really got to work on that. And we got that bill through. And then he's done a lot for us on workforce development. So here's the question. We talked, we opened up the podcast with, you know, you, you bail about 730. We have a dinner tonight that we have our gala, you know, we're giving out all these awards and you're going to be able to go deep tonight. I don't know. I have a hearing tomorrow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, that's good. All right. <laughs> so yeah, I'll just, you know, we'll finish the dinner and you'll go up to your room, right? I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'll do the same. Maybe I'll just come back up here and watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your lies to yourself, dude. That's between you and Jesus. (laughs) Thursday night football. I'm going to tell them, no, guys, I can't go out with you. Yeah, I'm a big sports guy. (laughs) I'm a big... (laughs) 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 All right, so next week, we are not going to produce a podcast. We're going to take off Thanksgiving week. We we will let you discuss politics at your Thanksgiving table without us. Yeah. (laughs) This year we just thought, you know, let's not talk politics over Thanksgiving, although I know folks will. Definitely. We just feel like, okay, it's Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. People are saying Mm -hmm. that Donald Trump really gave a gift to everyone for Thanksgiving because now people are going to fight about Trump at Thanksgiving. Yes. 
I'm not looking forward to it. So my mother is a Trump supporter, but my niece is not. And so I'm just hoping we keep the news off. We'll watch a lot of Hallmark Christmas movies. We, our goal, and my niece agrees with me, my sister agrees with me, keep it off the news, off Fox News. If you get to my mom's house for Thanksgiving, you immediately go to the Hallmark Channel because we can all agree that the Hallmark Channel has great Christmas movies. Yeah, we're entering Hallmark season for you. People will remember <laughs> that. I'm sure you don't have to expand on it. I saw a tweet that said, you should play Hallmark movies backwards. So it's like this girl dumps her loser's her boyfriend <laughs> in her small town and then goes and then wears stylish clothes in the city. Yeah. <laughs> you go, girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, you were telling me that you're not making it home for the Thanksgiving holiday. and Because it is slave labor at my mom's house. Yeah. I I don't want to pay $800 to fly home, yeah. and then you have to drive. It's not like they live by an airport. It's another three hours to get to my house. She makes you. You polish the silverware, clean every inch of the house as if someone is looking underneath your cabinets, and then we have our Thanksgiving at home. She usually has about 30 people, uh-huh. so it's pretty big. It's this whole thing. She bought a tent for the backyard, puts rugs in the tent. I mean, it's too much. Right. I love you, Mom. She's not listening. Anyway, and then after everyone eats, I'm always like the first to get up because I'm just like, man, I got to start my shift, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then you wash all of the china yeah. and then make all of the food to go home. And that takes about another two hours. Then you're exhausted. Uh-huh. It's just, I don't want to do it. I hear you. And I was supportive of you. I still am. But, oh, Sky, I got the news for my daughter. She's up in New York. She's she up wasn't Cohen. coming. She's not coming for the holidays. And she's going to a friend's house. You know, the flight out, flight back. And, you know, she's got a lot of work. They're getting at, you know, end of the semester. She's got a lot of projects. She's going to a friend's house for Thanksgiving dinner. But... I was thinking about you and, you know, of course I put my happy face on. I'm like, sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll FaceTime during the meal and we'll talk, but that's going to be rough. not seeing my daughter for Thanksgiving. So I'm, but you're going to see her at Christmas. I will. And they have an extended Christmas break. Yeah. So you're just being dramatic. I am. I am. But what are you going to do? I don't know. What are you going to do? Well, I'll go to my mom's. Oh yeah. You already said that. And you know, my mom does have some uh, dementia, mm-hmm. and so what she doesn't travel well. So Julie's going to go to her parents up in Granite Falls, which is on the other side of Hickory, uh, Representative Destin Hall's district. And I'll stay here, help my mom and my sister and my niece, and then we'll FaceTime Isabel. And then uh, Alan's going to go with Julie, my son. And then we are going to the beach Thursday night, and we'll stay there through the weekend. So it's kind of, you know, our parents are getting older, and uh, so we're splitting up for Thanksgiving meal. But uh, it'll be good. Happy Thanksgiving to you. I am thankful for you. I'm thankful for Christy Jones, our colleague, and all our clients, and this podcast. Appreciate everyone listening. I have a lot to be thankful for this year. You do. So do I. Yeah. So as you enter into Thanksgiving week, we will talk to you in two weeks. (laughs) So don't miss us too much, but we'll be back. And while you're at your Thanksgiving dinner, if politics does come up, please remember to do politics better.